0: Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I have as my guest the man that Forbes calls the real-life Wizard of Oz, Steve Sims. Steve, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So I think your background deserves 90 seconds rather than the usual 60. So how does a bricklayer from the East End of London End up working with Elon Musk and Elton John and various others. Can you give us that backstory? Yeah, it's very easy and
1: it's the same as absolutely everyone else. Growing up to a family of bricklayers, I suddenly thought to myself, is this it? Is this my future? And I was aggravated. I wanted more from my life. Now, this was back in the 80s and 90s. So I didn't have Instagram to show me how inadequate my life was, but I wanted more. So I tried connecting with rich people. So in the early stages, quite simply go, hey, why are you rich and I'm not? And it was that aggravation that had me hunting out the rooms, the clubs, the bars, anywhere rich people went to, yacht parties, uh, yacht shows, car shows, I would hang out and I would watch how rich people interacted. And that was it. I never went out to try and start the world's leading concierge firm. I never went out to start a media company. I never went out to release a book. I never did any of that. I just wanted to go out and find out why are rich people different to me? What are they doing different to me? And that was it. It was aggravation that propelled me. So how did you not get thrown out? Or did you? I did. (laughs) (laughs) One of the good things about being big and ugly is that people are a little bit careful and and, and maybe a little bit more polite when they're trying to kick you out. But no, quite often I would. um, And you you don't remember those moments. You don't remember those pains. You know, I can probably remember a handful of times when I was escorted out of the building. But, you know, I'm sure there were like three times that amount. But I just kept on trying to get in the right room. I remember one day, one big shocking day, I'd pulled up on, at this pub in Leighton so I was on my motorcycle. I went into the pub, sat down. I'm drinking my beer with my boys. The whole bar was full up. And I realized the entire bar was full of broke-ass bikers. And I realized, well, that's not unusual. Seeing as Steve, that's what you are. So I knew that I needed to change the room I was in. I needed to change the room to get into a room where they thought different. Now, along the way, in the early stages, I ended up moving from a room full of broke ass bikers into a room full of flaky wankers in East London that thought they were the new yuppies. And they were. So I went from like solid, real core people. To flakes and, and and fairies. You know, it was it was quite a jump. And so then I started learning that there is a difference. People with money, affluence, and impact act differently to people that pretend they do. And it's it's the same as today. How many people do you see taking pictures of themselves on private jets that have never left the tarmac? They're leaning up against cars that they don't own. We're still in that pretend market. Just back then, they used to hang out in wine bars. Right. And with their cars outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or maybe they had that they had that like Cortina or Capri or something like that outside, but they had a Porsche keyring. I saw that a good
0: few times. <laughs> okay. So talk to me about the mindset of ultra high net worth individuals and selling to the rich.
1: Very easy. As I say, I ended up
0: trying to get in with
1: affluent people. I tried to get jobs within the affluent world, yacht sales, car, sales, aircraft charters, stockbroker, insurance. I got fired from the morning. I ended up being a doorman. I started looking after affluent people by getting them into clubs, parties that I knew was going on that sometimes I was the doorman of, only because I wanted to get their attention. If I could look after you and do something for you, I had 30 minutes of your attention to turn around and go, hey, why are you successful and I'm not? Now, I went from getting people into clubs to ending up working with the Kentucky Derby, Formula One, the Grammys, Sir Elton John's Oscar party, some of the biggest events in the planet, still with the same ethos and still Trojan horse to be able to go, hey, Mr. Elton John, how come you're successful and I'm not? You know Those kind of things. And it came down to three things. I discovered three things that made Successful people different to non-successful people. Okay. The first thing is they are successful mindset. Now, if you think about a diet book, you don't lose weight by buying a diet book, you lose weight by action in it. Okay, you actually have to do the work. You don't get rich, you, you have a successful mindset, and the byproduct is you become rich. So that's the first thing you've got to notice. But I'm going to break it down into the three things. The first thing, time. They value time differently to you and me. When you're in a room full of affluent, successful people, they want to know what you're working on. They don't give a fuck what you're watching on Netflix. They don't give a shit about it. They don't go, oh, what did you have for dinner last? What are you working on at the moment, Steve? What are you trying to disrupt? What's the impact? How's that working for you? Why are you doing it? Why do you think you're qualified to be able to make a change? They want to know what you're doing. They look at the hour in the day, and they don't turn around and go, oh, God, I can sit down and watch Netflix and get reruns. They go, what impact can I create in that hour? They understand. They can make more money, but they cannot make more time. So they become a little bit more brash. They become a little bit more blunt. And they value time differently to non-successful people. That's number one. Number two. They value relationships more than you and I, and they recruit on culture. Now, this is very important. We're, we've always heard this kind of, yeah, 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 that sounds great. Let's do lunch. And you go, oh, the, let's do lunch. That's the rich people. Rich people do, let's do lunch. We just get the thing done. But they want to recruit on the person. Does the person fit that, that mold, that culture, that drive, that vision? Or are they just got a good resume? You see, we all lie on resumes. They don't recruit resumes. If they've got someone that's got the right mindset, the right vision, the right cultural association, hey, they can teach them that program. So the first thing they do is they recruit on culture and to make sure the visions and goals are aligned. Recruit on that, train the rest. So they value people's cultures and they recruit relationships and culture. And three, this is very important. Successful people lean into failure. Non-successful people lean out of it. And here's how that works. When someone does something and it fails, the non-successful person is the person that leans back physically, grabs that head and goes, oh, shit, I've lost $30,000. Oh, my God, my work's going to yell at me. I'm fucked. And they lean back and throw a pity party. Yeah. Successful people, they lean in and they go, ooh. Where did that go wrong? And they look into the failure for depth. They look into the failure to see where it went wrong to correct it. I had the privilege of being down at Elon Musk's SpaceX when they were trying to land those rockets on the floating pads. Do you remember on news seeing those rockets landing on the pad, falling over and exploding? Yeah. Remember seeing that? When was the last time you saw it land?
0: When it landed.
1: Yeah. When was the last time you saw one of those reusable fuel cells land on that floating pad in the, in the ocean and not fall over and explode? No idea. Probably never. <laughs> because it, it works now. You see, the bottom line of it is they would always show them when they fell over and exploded because it was like yeah. a Hollywood movie. But
0: well, bad news sells. Um, so every we, single time. We, the, the, the entire uh, entertainment and media and political scenario is set up for drama. Uh, Oh, absolutely. We we love watching other people fail. And uh, we love watching the news so that we can say, thank God it's not me or mine. It's all about okay, not okay. If someone else is more not okay than you, then you're a happy buddy. Crazy. When it happened, here's the key. When it happened and I was there,
1: when that thing fell over and exploded, not one person in that room grabbed our head. Not one person scoffed and went, oh, shit, and kind of like was all upset. Every single person in the room grabbed the desk, leant in to look at the data to see where it went wrong. You right. see, the education is in the shit that goes wrong, not in the stuff that goes right. And they Indeed. lean into the failure for that education.
0: Okay. So I, I get all of that. And I completely agree. Um, I think something else that's really important is they don't punish failure. They punish hiding it. That's hmm. certainly been my experience. If I look at uh, Ray Dalian, um, he keeps a failure log, and the only reason you get fired is not for fucking up, it's for uh, for trying to cover it up. That's the big, big reason. Okay, so tell us a little bit about what Bluefin does, because I think- Bluefin? Bluefish. Bluefish, sorry.
1: (laughs) Well, Bluefish was the, it was an accidental company. As I started to do more and more things, like get people in the clubs, people would then go, oh, do you know this rock star? Do you know Formula One? Do you know this? And they would start asking me. I became almost like the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. Jim <laughs> fix it. Yeah, yeah, without the bad stuff. Um, and I became the guy that literally flew around the world for 25-plus years. I only stopped like three years ago when my book came out. And I would fly around the planet to people that own things like countries and arrange them to get a guitar lesson with ZZ Top, a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses, walk the white carpet with Sir and John, get a walk-on roll on a major Hollywood movie, close down an entire arena. One of the biggest things that a lot of people know about that I did was I had a client that wanted um, the ultimate Italian meal in Florence. So I closed down the Academia de Galleria, which is the museum that houses Michelangelo's David. At nine o'clock at night, I had the entire museum to myself. I set up a table of six at the feet of David. There was a string quartet. And halfway through that pasta, I brought in Andrea Bocelli to serenade him during their meal. So that's the kind of thing that I became very well known for. But it was always to do two things. One, to make money, because I was getting paid well to do this shit, but always to be able to have a conversation with very powerful people and go, so what are you working on? And how do you see that? And how is that working for you? How do you release uh, release projects? How do Because we all start projects, and then we get attached to them, and we think, oh, let me sink in another few grand. It'll work then. You know, so I always like to speak to people, how do you release things that aren't working? You know, how do you turn your back on projects? So, I was interviewed. I spent 25 years using my concierge firm as nothing more than a a, a Trojan horse to be able to interview some of the richest, most powerful people in the planet. And believe it or not, only about 10% of those people were famous.
0: Okay, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So, my question to you is this What was your best mistake? Getting turned down. I think when I started trying to get
1: people into places or trying to get Celebrities because a lot of them wanted to meet celebrities back then in the 80s and the 90s. So I was getting turned down along a lot. And I realized I was asking one of two things: the wrong question or the wrong person. And especially in Hollywood, people say, Oh, yeah, well, I'm connected. You ask him for something, and they go, ah, I don't think I can do that. You know, oh well, it's a nice. Nice offer, but no, 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 my client's not interested. And then you suddenly find out that they're not even attached to the celebrity, you know? So you've got to ask just because the valet boy is parking the car outside a private party, it doesn't mean he has the authority to get you in. So you're either asking the wrong question or the wrong person. As soon as I realized that, I would validate and make sure I was asking the right person. And I would always make sure that my uh, my question was uh, positioned. So I liked the answer. And when I say like the answer, the classic thing is if I said to you, hey, let's have a beer tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Yeah. You may have a bad day tomorrow and you may find that demanding. Okay. Even though you want to have a beer with me, you just may go, well, why should I have a beer with him at seven? You may go, uh, make it 7 You may flex. Okay. But if I turned around and you said, hey, I'd love to have a beer with you tomorrow night, would you prefer 8 30 or 9 30? You know, I'm going to get an answer of one of those, either answer I get, I like. If I say to you, let's have a beer tomorrow night at seven o'clock, it's very easy for you to say no. But if I ask you the other question, I've now positioned it that I get an answer I like.
0: Okay. So I'm going to be mildly self-serving here because I'm working on a project at the moment. And if there's anyone who'll know how to do this, then it's you. I'm working with a technology company that has unlocked effectively a trillion dollar a year market. They've answered the question, why do human beings not understand other human beings? And I'm looking for exclusive investors who want to dominate a particular sector of the market. How do I go about finding those people and engaging them in a way that will appeal to them? What's the point? My client uh, wants to sell exclusivity within a particular market. Okay, so I've got that
1: wrong. You're wrong already. You're playing on the wrong side of the field. Okay. Okay. Anyone you talk to, absolutely anybody, within power, money, influence, position, straight away you know knows that you want something. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second you go up to someone of power, in their head they're going, "What does this guy want?" Does he want a selfie? Does he want to congratulate me on my latest movie? Does he want an autograph? Does he want a walk-on role? What's he want? Okay, they're constantly asking that question. The higher the profile you are, the higher position of power you are, that question gets amplified. So what you want to do is you want to go up to people and you want to let them know straight away what the point of the conversation is for them. What's the benefit? I know your client wants rich investors. You don't need to be fucking Einstein to work that out, okay? <laughs> I know that your is. client is convinced he's got the greatest technology in the planet, and that how could anyone ignore it? Because you've got to be in love with your own project, or why wouldn't you do it? What you've got to do, and what you've got to come up with, is what's going to grab the other person's attention. So I would, first of all, look at what segment or demographic does your product Solve the problem for. Okay. okay. You know, what's the what's the problem being solved? And then I would, you're gonna have to focus on this. Then I would get all of the hit list of people that you want to attack, and I would look up as to what investments they go into. There's a lot of people out there that won't touch projects unless a high element of it is sustainable. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of people out there that are looking for the next disruptive technology. There's a lot of people out there that like fads. If it's a cryptocurrency, yeah, that's sexy, it's shiny, I'll do that. So you've got to go to people and go, hey, I'm aware that you like blah, 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 blah. I feel as I have something that could add power and commitment to what you're fighting for within your investment portfolio. Thank you're it. giving them a benefit. Don't turn up and sell.
0: Turn up and solve. Turn up and solve. That's great. Okay, so I have that. So the next big question is: How do you get past their protection, their gatekeepers? Well, where are that protection and gatekeepers? That I don't know. It's a it's a world I'm not familiar with. I was in, in the office. The office. in the office.
1: Yeah, they're in the office. Where do you not want to have a casual conversation? In the office. Bingo, all right? This ain't fucking rocket science. So everyone that I've ever gotten near, I've always got hold of them in a casual setting. I've uh, There was a client I wanted to get hold of, um, and he was involved in racing um, vintage Porsches, okay? I found that out by Googling his name and then looking up images. And in the images, I saw that a lot of the time, he was in this race car. So what did I do? I found out. Do I know anyone else that's racing in that that group? You know, three people introduced me. I got to know this guy. I went along to one of the races, knowing that this guy would be there. I went into one of the drivers' meetings, and of course, he's there. Struck up a conversation. So what are you driving today? You know, oh, I'm driving. So I hear that's a great car. But why did you pick that car? I start interviewing them. Why? Because everyone loves talking about what they love. Why did you pick that Porsche not one of the later models? Oh, the feedback and stuff like that. Oh, you love feedback. Use other people's vocabulary. Okay. Oh, I love the feedback. Oh, you love feedback. Oh, that's fantastic. Does that give you the feedback you need? Well, yeah, it does this. It does. Get them talking, get them relating to you, get them connecting, and then move in for the kill. Now, it sounds very, Evil, but I know I'm not going to get past that security if I go to that office. I know I'm not going to get past that secretary, but if I can get into them in that casual, relaxed environment, I can start connecting with them, arrange a coffee, chat with them, and go, So, what are you doing at the moment? Oh, I'm doing this. It's funny you should mention that. I've got a project I'm working on. Would that complement what you're working on? Well, I don't know. Tell me more about it, Steve. Right. You know, and that's how it works. I had. A client, well, not a client. I wanted to be involved in a major event. Okay, a major Hollywood event. Can't say the name because I'm still working for them. And I looked at the board of directors. I looked at, again, the right question, the right person. I looked who was the right person to be able to say yes to me within that board. I found a few people in that board that could say yes to me being involved. I tried to Google them. Two of them were very, very boring, okay? So I couldn't find any kind of lock on what I needed to talk about. One of the guys, he was involved in a financier in music. He'd also had an earlier career in acting, okay? So he was very well known, you know, from like 10 years ago, but still known enough. I found an abstract article on this guy that he collects handmade shoes from Italy and has actually three cobblers that make shoes for him from some, something called Venetian Bernice, uh, Bernice Leather. And I'm probably okay. you know abolishing that name, but it was some Venetian leather, okay, that had like a torch run over it a bit, all right? So I went to this party. I went to the party knowing the guy was going to be there. Now, when people want to meet famous people, famous people are always at the front of an event. If you want to meet people at an event, there are two places you need to sit next to. One, the bar. Two, the toilet. Because you're going to be guaranteed that during an event, they're going to do one of those two. All right? So, and there's always a big queue up when you go to a Hollywood event around the toilet. People smoke, people drink. It's a great way to have a conversation before they go in the lab. So I saw this guy I wanted to talk to right down at the front, get up and slowly start to walk towards the bar. I could literally take my time from getting up off of my table. And we arrived at the bar at the exact same time. Yeah. This guy's famous. So I looked over to him. He's now expecting, yes, you know me from TV. Yes, you know me from music. Yes, tell me how much my music changed your life, blah, blah, blah. Get it out of your system. He's expecting that. And I looked at him and I looked down and I went, well, they're fucking nice shoes. <laughs> and he just kind of, You like those? I said, how come they look like different shades? Yeah. He said, that's actually a firing technique. Bang! He goes into it. He goes, that's a firing technique that they use in Venice for leather, where they scold it with these flat. He went into his shoes, and I was like, what got you into that? Bang! Start a whole. We chatted so much. His missus came over to the bar because she's <laughs> waiting for the bar. and She's like. Am I going to get my drink? And he's like, oh, sorry, hun. He gave her his, her drink. She went back to the table, and me and him stayed there chatting. OK? Very I've cool. now had a contract with that group for about eight years. Now, I wrote about that in my book, Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He got a copy of my book, read it, contacted me, and he went, was that me? Did you set me up? <laughs> and I said to him, no, you're getting it wrong. I thought a relationship with you would be so mutually beneficial, I wasn't going to allow it to happen by accident. That's how valuable having a relationship with you was going to be to me and you. Is that okay? And as soon as you reframed it to show how valuable it was, he was like, yeah, I heard from a friend of mine that he actually told that story about how he was in this book and how this guy set him up with the shoe story. He's actually telling other people now that story. So you've got to- Do I have to take this
0: story out of the podcast? (laughs) Oh, he knows. He's been spreading that out. So that's a public thing. Okay, so tell me this. You obviously have to have a certain amount of chutzpah and balls to do this kind of thing. When people try to do this, but they don't deliver it with confidence, what happens All right, so first of all, I don't want you to get confused.
1: I am an introvert, and coming across on this podcast is probably the complete opposite, okay? That's because I move with purpose. I won't do anything unless there's a point behind it, okay? I'm on this podcast because, hey, I'm sharing out my name, I'm sharing out the book, I'm sharing out what I'm getting up to. There's a point behind it. You don't need confidence if you're there to help someone else. And that sounds a funny thing. But if someone crashes the car, you're not going to sit there on the side and go, oh, I'm not going to run over and help that person out of the car because I'm not confident. You suddenly leap into action. and You get the person out of the car because it's helping them. So if you think what you're doing is helping someone else, how you show up, what you look like, your confidence, your fire, your balls. All of that goes out the window. When I turn up to have a conversation with someone, I meticulously plan it so I can deliver it in a manner that it affects and benefits you. And if I can do that, then all the other stuff goes out the way. Now, I've become confident because I've become experienced because I've failed at it a lot of times. So as that failure's come along, I became educated, I became experienced, I became confident. So now I can deliver a, a conversation with you know, Elon Musk with, with total conf- uh, confidence and conviction, but always show up with a solution. Don't waste people's time, and then you haven't got to worry about the other stuff. But don't get it confused that I'm an expressive over-the-top. Well, it's easy for Steve. Look at his character. Trust me. I, I barbecue. I walk the dogs. Uh, I garden. I'm a very quiet, reserved Uh, introverted person that comes out of my shell when I need to for maximum impact?
0: I think the entire conversation has been worth it for that one insight that you don't need confidence if you're there to help. And that fits really neatly with the entire ethos of what great selling is about. Great selling is about creating a safe environment for the other person, and you're there to serve and to help. And the minute it becomes about you, your selfish self-interest, automatically that uh, destroys buyer safety and it creates a wall. Thank you for that really powerful insight. And the other piece, which I think many people could really do with the lesson on, is meticulous planning. And the plan is built from the other person out. It's how can I turn up to help? And what do I have to do? What are the different steps, the elements that matter to them? So I think what I'm really pulling from this is that you need to be a great observer of the human condition. You need to care about the other person's outcome. And you need to pay great attention. Attention is not something that you just turn up and you're looking over their shoulder to see who else is there. You give them your 100% attention. And you focus on the things that are personal and matter to them at an emotional, visceral level. Is that a fair summary?
1: Perfect summary.
0: Excellent. Okay. I shall definitely be reinforcing that in a lot of the content that I'm producing now. Thank you. Okay. So tell me this what are the three really important questions that people should ask but don't when they are considering? An approach to an ultra high net worth individual that we haven't covered yet.
1: So the first one's not a question, it's a statement. Okay. You see, let's 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 pick on you for a second. Okay. So if I come up to you and I go, hey, how you doing? You're straight away sitting there going, Do I know this person? Mm -hmm. You know, now you're on video, you're on podcast, and you get people come up to you going, Oh, I love your show. And you're like, Do I know them? Am I friendly? Are they a friend of a friend? Have I met them? There's a lot of confusion. Stick yourself in a position of power, and you get that all the day. So the best statement, and I used to do this a lot, and my my wife and my assistant used to say to me, why do you always do that? And then one day, they went, I see why you do that. So what you got to do is you got to walk up to whoever you want to connect with and go, hey, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. You don't have to say that because you're not. My name's Steve Sims. You don't know me. Yeah, Say that first. Trust me, they will all of a sudden, the back of their head going, do I know this person? Who is this person? Are they a friend of a friend? What do they want? If you say that first statement, it calms them down. They go, oh, I don't know. And that's great. So you can turn around and you can go, hey, my name's Steve Sims. You don't know me. But if you've done your research, the next line can be, but I saw that you were working on this, or I saw you were doing this, or I saw you involved in this, and then ask them a question on it. Okay? There's a a situation I was dealing with, with a client that's big in Silicon Valley, and uh, they were working on a project. And I had found out, and we've got a company called Sims Media. Bad plug, sims.media. And um, I realized that they were doing things a little bit quirkily. And I wanted to get into that world. He had loads of different projects. And this is a valuable lesson. Okay? Valuable lesson. The lesson is, and I'll give you the the, the ending quickly, you don't always have to get it right to be right. Now listen Um, to the story. Okay? So I turned up to this guy and I said, hey, how are you doing? My name's Steve Sims. You don't know me, but I've heard that you're working on this project, and I noticed there were three things that could possibly catch you out. You know, I came up with some alternatives on that. Would it be uh, appropriate for me to just run through those with you now? So, here's a few things you've got to understand. One, I got him to stop thinking who I was because I told him he didn't know me. Yeah. Validated that I knew he was working on a project. So, I exposed the fact that I'd done some checking up on who he was. Yeah. Okay. Here's another key thing people love things in 3. Okay? Hey, I've got two ways I can do who cares. People love 3. I got three ways I can make you lose weight. I got the three steps to a better life. People love 3. Okay? And then what I did is I said to him I've got some solutions for this. Now here's the bit where I said you don't need to be right to be right. Nobody likes it when someone knocks on the office door and goes, Jimmy, we got a problem with this. All you've done is outsource the problem to Jimmy. Yeah. No one wants that. If you turn up and go, Jimmy, we got a problem with this. I was wondering, should we do this? Always show up as a solution. Even when the solution's wrong, people prefer it when you show up and you've attempted to solve the problem. So back to the story. I run up to the guy. I said, I've noticed you're working on this. I've seen three ways that he's going to bite you in the ass. That's going to cause you concern. okay? Mm -hmm. And I've got a solution for you. Now you want my solution. The guy was like, yeah, yeah, what is it? Two of them were good. Third one was flaky. But again, keep it in threes. okay? so I ran through with him what I knew about his project. Number one, where I saw the bottleneck. Number one, where I saw the solution to remove the bottleneck. Number two, same thing. Number three, how does that fit for you? Does that help you? Now, I haven't tried to charge him. In a casual environment, around a bar with loads of people, I've just given him three solutions to bottlenecks I saw on his project. Guess what he did?
0: He invited you to talk further?
1: He laughed at me. Aha. He literally, now I'm 245 pound of ugly, and that doesn't usually sit very well for me. He looked at me and started to laugh. His minions around him, of which there were about five, he looked at them, they started to laugh. I've now got a crowd of people laughing at me in a public event. And I'm thinking, all right, this didn't go as I planned. Thank you very much, I tried. And I went to turn around and walk away. And he grabbed me by the shoulder. Okay. Which again, I'm feeling a bit humiliated. So I'm a little bit on edge. And now he touches me. You know, this is kind of like, all right, where's this going to go? Because it ain't going anywhere good fast. So I turned back around to him, now not looking too smiley. And he went, please stay. Stop. You know, I apologize about the laughing. Everyone shut up. You know, and he, and he commanded everyone to calm down. He said, the reason we're laughing, is because we shut that project down six months ago after four years of running it because we couldn't get over certain bottlenecks. You walk up to me in a gala and not only evaluate just from the superficial of what you could see, the three bottle bottlenecks, but you actually gave us a solution for two of them that we hadn't thought of. <laughs> he said, I wish I'd have met you three years ago. And that project, he said. Now we never revive a project, so that project's dead. We've moved on. We're not going to work on it anymore. We've got all the education we could from it. We've now gone into a different project, so I don't need your assistance with that project. And I went, okay, well, fair enough. He said. However, I do always need a solution person. I'd like you to retain you. Been with the guy about six years
0: now. Very, very nice. And again, I, I think. Part of the problem here is that too often, people are afraid to give their thoughts and give their ideas. And I've learned over the years, I, I was taught n- no free consulting ever. but I'm now of the opinion you cannot give enough away. and the the mistake people make is that by offering an insight to a solution, They don't have all the thinking and the mechanics that goes behind it. So most people couldn't run with just that superficial idea. This guy probably could because he was intimate with the project. But I think far too often, people are very protective. And if you want to establish the relationship, if you do not start with giving first, then the chances are they're just going to look at you and think, another taker. Um, And they're surrounded by those sorts of folks.
1: Well, it's also strength in knowledge. You see, if I tell you the three things that are going to help you grow your social platform, improve your branding, grow greater distribution, okay? Like I've got, uh, as you know, I'm doing an AMA this morning uh, with my group, okay? And I will literally, in my group of people within Sims Distillery, I will answer their problems and they will go, hey, Steve, just like you did. You know how do I get my project out there, or how do I get? They will ask me questions, okay, and for the forty-five minutes, I'm going to answer them, and I'll say to you, hey, you should be doing this, you should contact that, you should do it, you should remove that, change your website, pixelate here, get a click funnel, funnel that. I, I will run through the answers, but you know what happens when you actually give people answers? You establish credibility, and you establish confidence. Now, I can tell you how to do all of these things. I can even send you a one page sheet on it so you can make notes as you're going through it. But do you know time and time what happens, people go, great. I don't need a how. I need a who. Absolutely. And you've just demonstrated that you're the who. I don't want, see, I could do, I believe now, being 55 years old, I could do anything. I could do open heart surgery if I went back in time and spent thirty years learning how to do it. We can all do anything that we focus on. But today is that the best use of our time? The best use of our time today is not to find the answer, but to find the who that can. Absolutely. Be comfortable in that who and go with them. So when you give your three steps away, when you give your insight away, nine times out of ten. You're going, and there's, there's a lot of people that go, great, I don't need to pay Steve his astronomical fees now. Yeah, I'm going to go and do it myself. And they start doing it. And when you start getting a little bit of success, you hit the next plateau. OK? And then you go, shit, that's got me here. How do I get here? I've got to go back to Steve. And I'll have a lot of people come back to me going, hey, I implemented those two steps. How do I take it further? And then the answer is easy. You get me in your camp. You get me in your camp and let's go forward. And you end up coaching, you end up teaching, you end up training the sales force. That's the next step. So giving it away earlier,
0: you're just establishing that you're the who. Absolutely. And I've learned this over the years as well. That who is a much better question than how. And it's driven me into the area of strategic alliances. And this is a huge lesson. So understanding that. Uh, whilst you might have a fabulous solution, look for the other who's out there who sell to the same audience, the same market that you do, and they offer a complementary proposition. So I've now collected a group of technologies and individual deliverers so that we can eliminate ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of all the waste in the marketing lead generation middle, and bottom of the funnel, and stop people squandering vast amounts of money with Google and Facebook on advertising that doesn't work. I mean, if you look at the stats on those, it's terrifying. A 1.91% click-through rate uh, on average on Google, and 1.61% on Facebook. And people think that's okay. It's just a cost to doing business. In what universe... Could you run any other part of your business so inefficiently and ineffectively for you to think it was okay? If you ran your finance department like that, you'd be in jail. But putting alliances together and learning how to play nicely with others, even your competition, I think is really important, particularly in this day and age. And I'm convinced that success in the future, particularly now that you have access to pretty much the entire uh, universe. Of human knowledge means that unless you can collaborate, you're just going to be picking up crumbs. Your thoughts,
1: yeah, it, totally. I think that there's a there's a great deal of collaboration required out there because together we can. Together we can conquer. Alone, you may be able to scuff and disrupt and rub people uh, into the right direction, but when you actually collaborate with the right people, I, I've mentioned to you a couple of times my company. I won't give it a plug anymore, but it's basically a conduit for many, many different relationships I have. So I am shit at copywriting. I collaborate with major copywriters that actually help me within my media. I am okay at doing social advertising, but I have experts in other fields that can do it for me better. I look for the who's to bring it in to be able to create what we need to be doing. So I love collaboration.
0: Excellent. Steve, this has been an absolute blast. I'd love to chat to you again if you're up for it. Let's do it. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, Well, look, tell me this. You've got a golden ticket and you can go back and advise your idiot 23-year-old self. Uh, What one choice bit of advice would you give him?
1: Oh, that's very easy. Stay off the shit whiskey. (laughs) I I would do no more than that because why should I remove the empowerment he would get from the failures that he's going to make? See, I've made loads of money. I've lost loads of money. I've made loads of money again, and then I've made more money. So, all of the empowerment you get, which again is that failure, that experience, that education, that confidence, that credibility. You know, there's a reason now that I can charge someone, you know, 25 grand to have a conversation with them for a day because I've got all that experience and I've got all that credibility. You see, today we're in a credibility currency, and a lot of the influencers, you know, around the planet. I've never actually done anything other than attended a couple of seminars and read a book.
0: You know? So you,
1: you've actually got to look at people and go, okay, why are you a good coach? Why can you train me? Why can you help me with my branding? That's easy because it is 35 years, you know? And things change and you've got to show you can adapt. So I don't want to save myself 20, my 23 year old. I'd love to watch it and to be able to, to re engage in some of the pain I went through and go, oh my God, I, I now, I know what's coming, and this is going to hurt. But you know (laughs) the glory you get after those moments of going, all right, it didn't kill me. That's the empowerment. Why should I be so rude to remove that away from my younger self? Absolutely. How can people get hold of you? Oh, I'm easier to get than COVID. I am at Steve (laughs) D. Sims everywhere. Uh, Steve D. for Dash in Sims. There's only one M in Sims. Instagram, I do a lot on Instagram. seem to have a pretty healthy following there. stevedsims.com is the website which will tell you about Sims Distillery and uh, Sims.media. Or you can join my Facebook group at an Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. It's a free Facebook group, and it's where I'm going to be ranting today.
0: Excellent. Steve Sims, an absolute joy. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Look after yourself. So this is Marcus Kalki signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And for God's sake, share it with someone who could benefit from it. And if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at last-last.com. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.